digging in the dirt. I'm digging in the dirt. This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, climate change, farming, gardening, and food. My guest today on Digging in the Dirt is Lindley Dixon. Lindley is the Associate Director of the Real Organic Project, a nonprofit farmer-led organization to protect the integrity of USDA organic. She co-owns a five-acre certified organic vegetable farm in Durango, Colorado with her husband and brother. The farm specializes in tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, and salad greens through diverse marketing channels to the local rural communities of Southwest Colorado. She has a PhD in plant pathology from the University of Florida and a master's in plant and soil science from West Virginia University. And to boot, she has worked as a postdoc researcher at the USDA Systematic Mycology Laboratory in Beltsville, Maryland. Welcome, Lindley. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So I'm really pleased to have you here. Your new project that's going on with the Real Organic Project is exciting. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. But so here you are running your own organic farm. And now you're not only doing that, but you're helping to run the Real Organic Project. I want you to tell us how that happened. Did you ever think that you'd find yourself in this place when you started farming? No, you know, I definitely think farming is in my blood and it's something I wanted to do my whole life. And I was working for the USDA and, you know, had was doing all the gene sequencing and had white gloves on and just walked out of the building at the end of the day and it was dark and uh, wanted wanted to try farming before you know my back gave out and all those things. So my husband and I quit our jobs in Washington DC and moved over to uh, Durango here where uh, my family is and, and just gave it a shot. And honestly, the land, and this is what all new farmers are finding, the land is so expensive, good farmland with water rights and you know good soil and close to markets that it was just clear we were never gonna be able to afford to actually farm our own land. We rented land for a long time, unless one of us got an off-farm job. And I think that's the biggest hurdle if we really wanna see this local organic thing take off. We need to get farmers, good farmers, new farmers that really wanna, you know, there's a lot of people wanna do this and one in 20 make it who give it a shot maybe. So, and, and the biggest barrier is farmland and that's what happened to us. So I started working uh, for a nonprofit organization before the Real Organic Project that uh, worked on the integrity of the organic label. And boy, there are some problems so that all the you know local organic farms that we wanna support are just not making it because they can't get their products on the shelves. They have to stay in this small niche, you know, direct market area and they can't get expand and get into the grocery stores just because of the way that uh, all these programs work in order to define, you know, what gets to be on the shelf and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's things that, you know, a company that can produce it year round, signs a contract and says, you're going to, you know, so- you're going to source for me year round, even when there's better products that everybody wants to buy available during the season. And so that, that issue just, you know, it's exactly what I wanted to work on. And so now I farm a lot less. My husband and brother really run the farm, um, but I'm really passionate working for all the founders of the organic movement. I'm so lucky to uh, have met Dave Chapman, Elliot Coleman, Fred Kirschman. I mean, the, the list goes on. Uh, Paul Muller and Drew Rivers in California, just all over the country. I've met these amazing heroes of mine and we're all working together to try to hold on to, desperately hold on to uh, what they started 50 years ago. So is there any one event or one thing that pushed you over the edge into activism? Ooh, 
I've never thought about the one thing I would say it's probably when I tried to go get our stuff on the shelf and we're talking like sun gold, the cherry tomatoes, like the tastiest cherry tomato you would ever eat. You know, we were picking them that day and bringing them in and they disappear fast if you put them there and the grocery store saying, you know, I, I, I won't carry your product because, you know, I can get this 99 cent a pint tasteless. Um, you know, we pay people, to, the farmers pay people, you know, $12 a day down in Mexico. It's all hydroponic. So none of the, you know, fertility and the ecosystem cycles that organic farmers are all working on, none of that's happening. So that's the product. And, and literally it like burns holes in your mouth. <laughs> Those cherry tomatoes taste disgusting. <laughs> no one wants to buy them. And yet I couldn't get shelf space. I think that that really, that was an awakening and started talking to other farmers about it and, uh, you know, ended up working uh, for the Cornucopia Institute, actually, that, that really works on these issues and still does. Yeah, so that's interesting you put it that way, that you're working on organic farmers and the system of the economic part of the system, but it's also about the standards. So maybe we start with the standards. I mean, what makes the Real Organic Project standards? Because that you you go and certify somebody after the USDA certify them, correct? And what is, what's the difference? Right. So the idea is that because of the influence of lobbyists and all these campaign contributions, the standards have just gone down. And um, actually in Europe where they've kept the organic standards, you know, at least maintained them, there's all these extra groups to progress and all this farmer learning and exchange. It's like, I think we're ready to, you know, not use black plastic or maybe to cut out that input that we've allowed in the past. And so it's really, you know, move the needle forward. And that was always part of the organic movement is all this learning and farmer exchange. When the USDA came in and defined organic, it not only stopped that, but because of the campaign contributions, it actually started, you know, dropping the bar for what organic meant. One of the biggest problems is that you've got confinement poultry. So the law is actually really good in every way. It says for, you know, you need outdoor access for poultry. And outdoor access became defined as like a concrete porch off the side of a 200,000 bird building, which is basically how they raise them conventionally. And then on top of that, we were getting all this organic grain that was fraudulent, that was you know turning organic overnight somewhere in the middle of the ocean from Europe. And uh, some of the like Eastern, like Turkey and Russia, places like that, actually the mob was involved in all this. And so we're talking like large scale fraud under organic was all documented and um, nothing's really changed. You know, what we're doing, which is cover cropping and actually drawing down carbon from the atmosphere and, and growing our own nutrients or recycling our own nutrients from compost. All these things are what organic farmers are talking about. We've been working on for, you know, decades, started to disappear from the organic label. And so it was those three major things that really caused the Real Organic Project to say, well, we've lost what we've created. Let's see if we can create an add-on standard to push the USDA to do the right thing, because now we're creating market opportunities for farmers who are doing better than organic. But if the USDA doesn't come around, you know, we might just have to be what replaces it. But of course, I think all the farmers would rather go back to farming instead of having to run this add-on certification program if the USDA could just follow their own rule. Yeah, that would be nice, but that's not happening, right? So, well, is it working, do you think? Is this add-on working and people getting to know it and are the farmers getting to know it? 
I think it's working because the we're new, we're only two years old, but the farmers are so behind it. And when the farmers get behind it, they bring their customers with them. You know, we're talking about farms that have, you know, really intimate connections with their customers. Uh, they go to farmer's market, but also have, you know, the farm like Full Belly out in California. Uh, they have 500 acres, the most diversified wow. farm I've ever seen. They were, they, they, they founded the organic movement along with, you know, several other great farmers in, in California. They still go to farmer's market, you know, four or five times a week. And so they're talking to their customers about these issues. And that's what's happening all across the country with these farms. So they, they also have um, space on the shelves, although that's becoming more and more difficult over time. But the labels out there, you know, Dave Chapman's got it on his. There's there's about 20 farms that are using it now in the marketplace, but it but it's so new. Uh, and mostly we're all just building a movement of farmers and it's happening fast. There's over 500 farms now certified with the program and we're just doubling every year. So that's great. That's why I'm having you here because I, I, I want to promote it enough that we can get more farmers, right? So any farmers out there listening, it would be a good idea to give a call to the Real Organic Project. And also the consumer should start looking for this add-on label, correct? Absolutely. And if they, they're not finding it, start demanding it of the stores. You know, where's the Real Organic Project label? Are there any Real Organic farms around that you're not sourcing from? So if they start demanding it and, you know, encourage the spread the word to your farmer's market and um, the farmers that you do know to that you support this and, and go ahead and get certified. It's free to farmers. We didn't want to build this program on the backs of the farmers who already pay for organic certification and do a lot of paperwork there. Our standards are really basic. It's just are your animals out on pasture? Are you growing your uh, crops in the soil? And, you know, we're looking at greenhouse standards that never actually got passed in the NOSB, the National Organic Standards Board, which is the USDA program that, um, you know, helps create the standards uh, for USDA organic. So there's a lot of things that they they haven't listened to the last 20 recommendations of the NOSB, never mind all the areas where, you know, the NOSB hasn't even been able to uh, move forward on things. So mm -hmm. there's there's a real problem there. And it's it's happened basically since the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I had somebody ask me, but, you know, but Kevin, what is organic? I mean, so what makes it organic? I mean, they were saying if you start with a seed that's not organic, but you do everything organic after that, is it organic? A seed that's not organic, but everything after that. So no, it's, I mean, there's all these little exceptions in the rule for, um, there's this national list and, um, the seed sourcing is part of it. It's basically saying, if you can't find the seed organically, uh, then then you're allowed to get it not organically. Um, but all these little exceptions in order to build the program out, because you know, 20 years ago, there this certification wasn't happening, so there was no way to maybe find the organic seed. But we are long past that. There is organic seed available, and these loopholes are still being used. And so the national list was meant to be, this is the allowed synthetic inputs. And that was meant to be, you know, as a last resort, if, you know, say your, all your um, biological systems for pest control, you know, you've got resistive varieties out there, you've got biodiversity, you're using um, insects that maybe are countering, you know, biological control is what we call, call it. So they counter the pest naturally. You've used all that and that's failed. There is a, a pesticide on this list that is the safest thing that you can use and is your last resort. And what's happened is, I, I know this is getting really detailed, but this is important. The, the, that nationalist has become the entire system 
for some of the, you know, confinement poultry or the hydroponic. That is the way they're using this, you know, uh, list to be able to get all of their nutrients or all of their routine pest control instead of seeing it as, well, this is our last resort. This is an amendment if, if something happens and something's gone wrong and we have, you know, the aphid year, uh, the biblical aphid year, and, and there's nothing we can do to control it with our, you know, beneficial flowers right there. But it wasn't meant to be, okay, we're just going to routinely spray this every week. And, and that's what's happened with a lot of the hydroponic well, that's bad um, to hear. <laughs> products where, you know, the last resort fertility too, is something that the whole system is based on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's complicated. Or, but, so, or just to answer your question, organic is everything that you do, everything that the farmers do in order to prevent the need for any inputs on the farm. That's what organic is. It's all the things that you do. It's not this list of things that you're allowed to use. And that's what the USDA has redefined it as, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I might put you on the spot here a little bit, but I, I'm, I have a burning question in my head about is there really anything organic anymore? I mean, totally organic. And let's take the idea that glyphosates are everywhere. I mean, they're finding it in everything, all the foods, the wine, the beer, baby food, in, even in our bodies. If that's right. the case, is can we say that there's anything organic anymore? Right. I think that there are farms still doing it. It's written in the organic law that what organic is defined as the minimal use of off-farm inputs. And it's just for that reason. You are trying to cycle and grow your own fertility on the farm so that you don't bring in contaminants. And that's, that's the best organic farms are doing that. And it takes a little bit more land. We actually rotate. So some of our land is in, in cover crop or what has traditionally been called fallow, but we've realized, you know, that cover cropping, you can grow nutrients like over your head. You can grow crops that grow really fast, outcompete the weeds, mow it, till it down or run livestock through it. But that's a year where that land is out of production and then you rotate it. So it's every other year. And the best farms, organic farms are doing this. They're really growing their own fertility. And, you know, the grass or the feed that's meant to stay in place and the animals that are meant to move about, that's, you know, that requires no uh, fossil fuels to, you know, harvest the grain, deliver it to the confined animal. Then you've got all these nutrients piled up and it becomes a contaminant. Instead, we're just, you know, leaving the feed where it's supposed to be, running animals through it. The animals are healthier. The, the nutrients don't get backed up. You're, you're growing nutrients on your own farm. There are farms like this that still exist. It's, it, it provides a, a more nutritious product in the end. And it's, um, you know, making sure that your food is free of contaminants, which is what you mentioned, but you've got to seek it out and the consumer has to know so much. I mean, I would pay $20 a gallon or more for the milk that's down the street because I know this dairy and how good it is. And unfortunately they stopped producing milk in the winter, but I do know farms that figure out how to calve year round so that you can have milk year round. But when I have to go back and, and buy the milk from the grocery store, even though I pay top dollar for what's there, it's not the same as the milk down the street. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, this has shown that the, that the milk has, uh, there's a lot of studies out there showing that the omega three to six ratio is so much better. There's conjugated linoleic acids, which are good oils. There's 500 different oils that are in milk. And, and, you know, we can name two, but, but what is all the other stuff that we don't know about the same thing with vegetables. You know, there's 40,000 secondary metabolites or more. And, and we're talking about, you know, the vitamin C level or something like that. It's like, we have no idea 
what the difference is in terms of the nutrient density for the food that we're growing uh, on healthy soils in this way with, you know, teaming up with microbial life. So all, all of these things are things that, you know, over time we have become aware of and the best consumers are aware of it. And they, they do seek these products out. And what pains me is that those farms can't grow to the point where they can put their stuff on the shelf. And so people, when they go to the grocery store, can't find it. They have to seek it out in all these sometimes back alley ways, you know, like the, the farm isn't able to sell on the farm. And so you feel like it's this drug deal, you know, to try to get those sure. eggs or something because of access. Or we actually tried to get our farm to have, um, you know, a CSA pickup. And we were going through the permitting process of what it would take to put a Walmart in that place you know, uh, bathroom, hand wash station, you know, the entrance access road was supposed to be so wide. It was like, this wasn't even our property, it was rental property. So this is what farmers are up against when they try to do the right thing. There's all these uh, impediments in their way. And so and it's our um, way of keeping you out of the market too. <laughs> who knows? It's just, sometimes it's the red tape makes no sense. And so we, we need to listen to, to what's happening. In and so I'm this. hearing you're also a consumer and then we're talking to consumers. So sure. the consumer is really key here because if there's a demand, yeah. then it will change. So it, like we say here all the time, vote with your dollars, you know, spend your money where you want to support people like Lindley Dixon's farm or anybody who belongs to the real organic project. Right. Yeah. It's just a few bad actors that have changed what the definition of organic is, changed the standards, sometimes cheating the standards. And and the problem is, you know, for an in egg production, it's over 80% of the marketplace. So it's just a few industries that uh, a few companies that are just dominating now. We're talking about monopolies. The same thing is true with, you know, hydroponic berries. Um, dairy, it's getting more and more that way. So um we're losing yeah, we're losing. Uh, what organic means because a few bad actors are taking over the market. And that's what's so sad. The majority of organic farmers are doing it right. You're listening to the associate director of the Real Organic Project, Lindley Dixon. She's a farmer and a scientist and a busy lady. Um, thanks for joining me here. Um, let's talk about this amazing Real Organic Project virtual symposium that's going to happen in January. Every Sunday in January, you're having this uh, symposium, which will have incredible speakers. Why don't we talk about that? Or what was the idea behind putting this together? Well, the idea was because this is such a complex story and there's so much you have to understand, it's let's get the voices together to um, explain to the public what we've learned over time. And it really is the dream team of, of voices. So you've got Alice Waters, who talks about the origins of the farm to table movement in California, Elliot Coleman and Fred Kirschman and Paul Muller and Drew Rivers, some of those organic pioneers that I talked about, the organic farmers. Uh, Leah Penniman, who's sort of the next generation talking about, you know, honoring our relatives and ancestors and the importance of soil and the ancient practices on the land that have been so beneficial and the, the origins of them. Uh, Al Gore is there and he talks mm -hmm. about the influence of lobbyists and, and what's gone wrong with organic and, and his farm is certified with the Real Organic Project. So he's a really powerful voice. He, he truly understands it. Uh, Paul Hawken and Bill McKibben, some climate activists talking about drawdown and, and the power of soil to heal the climate. So, I mean, you couldn't pick a better lineup of speakers. It's an it really is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. 50 speakers and I recommend everybody go to, we can't talk about them all, but we'll talk about a few. The Real Organic Symposium 
symposium.org and you can see all these speakers and it's just it's, it makes you giddy if you know who they are. I mean, uh, I've had about seven or eight of them on my show here. I, I, would, I would love to have a few more. <laughs> they're, they're really interesting people, and they're all leaders in this uh, area we're talking about today. So tell me, before we get to some of your favorites, maybe, why climate activists in a organic symposium? Well, I think it's been later in the in the organic story that we started to realize that organic farming is the only way that we can move forward into the future. It's the it's the kind of farming that actually sequesters carbon. So even if we were to shut off all emissions today, which we know we're not doing, we would still have to figure out how to draw down, uh, you know, an, a molecule of carbon dioxide lasts in the atmosphere for over 100 years. So our climate, even if we stop emissions right now, will continue to exponentially warm because of the emissions that we excreted 50 years ago and, and today, you know? So we have to figure out how to draw down and organic farming does that. And I do wanna point out that, you know, it's really difficult to find vegetables that are no-till and everybody's talking about no-till in terms of how to draw down. But when you're growing these cover crops over your head and then you either run animals through it or, or till it in, that is a way of growing vegetables and it does require tillage, but you are actually increasing the organic matter quickly over time. And so this is, this is just the science that we've realized how important organic farming and the practices that we're promoting are in terms of healing the climate. So with all these 50 people, who's your favorite that's coming? I mean, you have, some of the stuff has been pre-recorded, so you've heard some of these. Yeah. But tell us some of the stories just so we can get a tease as to and why we should sign up for the symposium. Hands down, Emily Oakley. Uh, she's a farmer in Oklahoma. She is a former NOSB member. And so she knows uh, how disturbing the influence of just a few organizations are in terms of defining organic and uh, was part. And she's a small farmer. You know, it's just her and her husband. And, you know, they've got 100 CSA members. So it's this really small farm that's doing everything right that has experienced firsthand what, what it's like at the USDA and her voice is really strong and powerful. I also love Jennifer Taylor is another farmer who was an NOSB member. And that farmer voice on the National Organic Standards Board is just so small. It's almost like they put it there as a token to just say, see, we're listening to you. But it's, you know, one or two people out of 15 in it and it never carries the vote. And uh, the, the whole idea behind passing the organic standards over to the USDA was that was that that farmer voice was supposed to be loud. And that was the whole idea behind the NOSB. So so it's it's fairly tragic that this is where we've ended up. But it's Jen, now. yeah, for sure. Uh, Jennifer Taylor's another farmer. She's in it at, um, just outside of Atlanta in Georgia, maybe a couple hours south. And uh, she tells the story of her grandmother, who was a sharecropper, and how she's been able to get that land. And I mean, these are just really Tre treasured stories of, of what our ancestors have had to go through on this land and, and, and her honoring of her, of her grandmother. Uh, and that's why she wanted to become a farmer. So uh, those are my favorites. But again, there's David Grinspoon is one of the climate scientists that every second he spoke, I learned something new. So you really will come out touched by some of these stories, but also a lot smarter. You know, this is what we should be talking about every Sunday in church is how to heal our our planet. We, we don't talk about it enough. You know, we all need this education. 
Well, we're talking to Associate Director of the Real Organic Project, Lindley Dixon, and she's going to have a virtual symposium every weekend in January on Sundays. It's from 3 to 5 p.m., am I correct? That's right. But we've also, you know, we'll be able, it'll be a live feed. It'll run probably over two hours. We're trying to keep it at two hours. But if you miss the live feed, you know, that's where you can kind of interact and type in the chats and type in your questions and stuff. But if you miss it, you're able to watch it for three months afterwards. So I would encourage every, it's every Sunday in January. But I would encourage everybody, you know, if they don't feel like they can give up that time on a Sunday to still sign up because you can watch the live feed, you know, uh, anytime after that. It's it's five incredible sessions. Mm -hmm. And how is this structured? So let's say the first Sunday, what's going to go on? The first Sunday is the history of the organic movement and what's gone wrong and how it went wrong and the formation of the Real Organic Project and what the farmers are asking folks to do. The second session is soil science and why taking care of the soil while you farm is so important to climate. Uh, the third session is climate change and, and what's happening. And, you know, so that's where we're featuring Paul Hawken and, and Al Gore and Bill McKibben, scientists like that, David Grinspoon. The fourth session is on the nutritional differences that I was touching on uh, when you're actually growing in healthy soils and pasturing your animals. And the fifth and final session is, is sort of the idea behind Paul Hawkins' Blessed Unrest, which is touching on all the people that are working in this field to make a difference. And it's the call to action, the rallying cry, really. Mm -hmm. And there's several different ways of signing up, right? There's a, and then you also offer some scholarships and some student rates. And, and but the, the main one is it's $100 for all five, you get to go to everything. And that's what I signed up for. So I'll be there. And you can go to where to do this? Uh, realorganicsymposium.org. And uh, you'll see all the speakers there and you can purchase tickets there. It's free to students and farmers. So spread the word. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for coming, Lindley. It's a, been a real pleasure having you here on Digging in the Dirt. Thanks, Kevin. And Lindley Dixon of the Real Organic Project. Digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org or diggingindthedirtradio.com. Thank you.